Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Listen, I believe in tipping well. If you have the money, putting up a little extra for the people serving your food or helping you with your bags is just common decency. And the world of tipping got a little strange during the pandemic. If you order food from a kiosk and then pick it up from a window yourself, do you tip? If knowing that the service industry was struggling led you to bump your normal tip from 15 to 20 or 20 to 25, is that now your new normal? And it also seems like tips, sometimes via app, have expanded out beyond their traditional confines. There's even a name for it floating around, tipflation. So that's the show today. How do you figure out who to tip these days and how much you should leave? And if you work in a service job, have your expectations changed? We'll all talk. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Here's the thing for me about tipping. Hypothetically, in a capitalist society, a transaction is simple. It's just money for something, no social strings attached. But of course, in the real world, transactions occur between people. And those people can form a relationship, however brief, that sort of hovers over the regular bill. A tip is one way we kind of paper over that weirdness. So when society convulses, as it did during the pandemic, it's no surprise that tipping behavior got unsettled during that time when people finally realized who the essential workers really are. But now what happens? Do things go back to the way they were, or are we in a new normal? Or maybe even the inflationary economy is doing something else to us entirely. To help us kick around those ideas and take your calls on tipping, we're joined by Sarah Morrison, a reporter with Recode, now homed at Vox, who wrote a great story called Everyone Wants a Tip Now. Do you have to give them one? Welcome, Sarah. Uh, Hey, how you doing? (laughs) Good, good. Thanks for joining us. We also have Halona Leanne Oaks, a professor at Lehigh and co-author of the book Gratuity, a contextual understanding of tipping norms from the perspective of tipped employees. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Great. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We also have Ted Rossman, a senior industry analyst at Bankrate. Welcome, Ted. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to start off with what sounds like a very dumb question. Maybe it is. Halona, we'll, we'll take it to you. What is a tip? Like, is it a bonus for service? Is it a kind of tithe to labor, as it feels like for me? Is it part of the price? Like, how would you describe it? It depends on who you ask in some respects. Uh, I'm not a historian, but I, I do know that the word bakshish or bagshish is a Persian word. Um, I don't know if historians agree uh, about the origin of the practice itself being um, in the Middle East, North Africa, or or Europe, but uh, depending on who you ask, tipping may be charitable giving, it can be political corruption, it can be bribery, it can be part of the cost of doing business. Hmm. Uh, so in many ways, it depends on who you ask. Huh. 
How do you, like, in the perspective that you take, you know, tipped employees and, like, talking with them and working with them, how do you think most tipped employees see it, or at least the ones that you talk to? In our research, we studied um, or we spoke with about 450 people who received tips, and we were motivated by Studs Terkel's uh, approach to understanding through listening to the perspectives of working folks. And and what we found is that tips are not given or received as a signal of service quality because the ritual is really more affective than strictly rational, economically speaking. Uh, so the way that people very often receive tips or experience tips has little to do with um, uh, a reflection of the service quality and a lot of projection about uh, the tip giver. Hmm. Um, it's about how it makes so you feel. <laughs> Correct. And a lot of people and in, in America, um, tipping norms are adhered to above 90 percent. That just means that uh, Americans are lavish tippers uh, and we tend to tip to attempt to overcome uncomfortable feelings associated with inequality. Basically, we tip because we don't want to look like a jerk. <laughs> hey, you know, that's, there are worse things. Um, you know, Ted, can you talk a little bit about from kind of like the data driven perspective about the U.S. tipping culture? Uh, maybe even, you know, if you have it available, kind of California tipping culture versus other places. It's definitely evolving. We've seen, for instance, this holiday season, more people anticipate tipping, but they expect to give lower amounts, which I thought was really interesting. So we're talking about year-end tips for maybe a housekeeper, if you have one, or your kid's teacher, or daycare provider, a landscaper, mail carrier, trash and recycling collector. I think what this shows is inflation is a big theme, of course. People don't have as much money to go around, but they want to tip. I think there's mm -hmm. this kind of shared burden that, yeah, it's been a tough year. I'd like to tip. Maybe I can't give as much as I'd like, but I want to give something. So that's one evolution we're seeing. Uh, there's also a lot of tip creep, like at a coffee shop or a food truck where you pay at the counter and they flip the tablet around and they're expecting a tip. And many people think that's awkward. Uh, so digitization of tipping is another big theme. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the changes in tipping culture over the last few years and how it's working. What do you think about what some people have called tipflation? Have you experienced it? And maybe you could give us a call and tell us, you know, if you work in a service job, what are your expectations for tips and how has that changed over time? What, do you, what would you like your customers to think about when, when tipping? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. Um, Sarah Morrison, uh, senior reporter at Recode, you wrote a story about the kind of digital side of this, like those little kiosk screens that get rotated around to you, and then you kind of have to, like, make a call on what button you're going to push there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that uh, that story? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's basically what you said. Uh, even before the pandemic, like, obviously, the pandemic, uh, people tipped more places, and I think they tipped more. But this was a sort of a thing that was already happening with these sort of point of sale screens. And I think most people are familiar with, you know, you pay and then the iPad like spins around and there's these like, you know, couple boxes that say tip, 
you know, 15, 20, 25, and then like maybe a tiny little like custom and then, you know, no tip. So it, it, you have to actually click through and decide, you know, what you're going to do before you can even like complete your purchase. Um, and it's sort of hard or awkward uh, to to say no or say less than what the suggested amounts are. Um, and I think that's really enabled, uh, you know, really made it much more common for you to be asked to tip at places uh, that you weren't, weren't before um, and, and don't expect to, and then sort of maybe find yourself tipping at all or tipping more uh, than you thought you would. Um, and that's just because so. it's built into the point of sale system, right? I mean, it's not like they have to be like, oh, can you tip me? <laughs> Instead, the screen does it for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are options they have to set up when they, you know, set it up with this thing, uh, with, you know, whatever uh, provider, you know, they're going with. Um, I think they can always choose to not have it on there. Uh, but there's, you know, several reasons why they they would want to have it on there. So, yeah. yeah. Let's uh let's go to the phones early and and often today. Uh, Brian in San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Great topic. I uh you know I tip at traditional places like uh, restaurants that have a tablecloth and have a waiter, <laughs> but I, I you know I also tip because I don't want to feel like a jerk. But the main thing is I can't afford to tip. So at my pizza place or at a Starbucks, you know, I want to give them a card that says contact the California Labor Federation and join a union, right? <laughs> That's my tip is, you know, get organized because, you know, I can't afford to – I like the guy who serves me my slice of pizza, but I can't afford to tip them, and I, you know, I can't afford – I just I, – I, no, I, I can't you. afford I, yeah. it anymore. Brian, um, thank you for that. Uh, I wonder how that would go over if you actually left that card. <laughs> I think. Um, let's go to uh, Helona Leanne uh, Oaks, professor at Lehigh University. I um, this really is. I mean, I said it at the top. It feels to me like this is a way tipping is a way that we kind of uh, soften the edges of what's a really brutal economy for service employees. I mean, this is a fantastic question. Uh, and I thoroughly appreciate this caller's input because when we think about tips, tips serve a number of different functions that we could think of as would-be, should-be's, or could-be's, right? Um, one, we can think of it as a sort of reflection of service quality or a way to that you know a way to provide managerial oversight at a low cost is my you know is how managers might think of it. Um, we can think of tips as serving a redistributive function. We can think of them as uh, an expression of or reinforcement of social status, a ritual that shows um, the power dynamic between two people, who is uh, getting served and who is serving. Um, we can also think of it as a sign of appreciation or a, a reflection of service quality. Um, uh, you know, what we find when we talk to people who receive tips is... Um, that very often it feels like a um, a ritual display of, of social status and political power. And very often, even if it is a reflection of service quality, the adherence to the tipping norm itself makes it such that the, the signal about service quality is inconsistent, hard to read, um, it doesn't make sense. And people who receive tips very often do not uh, uh, take the tip percentage amount or lack of tip as a reflection of service at all. They, they tend to uh, interpret it as a reflection of the person giving the tip. 
Um, Are you a jerk? Often, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And most often um, what we see tips doing is diffusing costs to consumers. And I think that that, you know, uh, maybe what motivated this last caller is that we're seeing more and more costs diffused to consumers as profits increase so that dividends can be paid to stockholders. Um, I think we would all benefit if uh, people who receive tips uh, were able to fight for a living wage. Yeah, yeah. We have a bunch of comments coming in. I'm going to get to some, then we'll go back to the phones uh, just just in a few moments here. Uh, Noel tweets, just, you know, uh, I've been noticing people complaining about extra service charges at some restaurants. Does this complicate how much we're supposed to tip? In France, service is included, and servers are professionals, not servants. Uh, another listener writes in to say, I think all workers deserve a good tip. Employers don't pay nearly enough, and I'm enjoying the service they provide that wouldn't be possible without them. Another listener writes, if people are paid an adequate living wage, then tipping should be considered if someone went above and beyond and for dine-in restaurants. It's gotten out of hand with tipping for everything. If people are just doing their job, why should I tip? That's their job that they are paid for tough thing about that comment is it has the answer right in it. If people are paid an adequate living wage, and I think many people feel like perhaps uh, they're not, and that's why they end up going above and beyond with tipping. We're talking about tipping in our current era right now. We're joined by Sarah Morrison, a senior reporter uh, with Recode and author of the recent article, Everyone Wants a Tip Now. Do you have to give them one? Ted Rossman, a senior industry analyst with Bankrate. And Helena Leanne Oaks, a professor at Lehigh University and co-author of the book, Gratuity, A Contextual Understanding of Tipping Norms from the Perspective of Tipped Employees. We'd love to hear from you. I think you get the topic here. The phones are kind of ringing off the hook, so it may be hard to get through. You can try our Twitter, Facebook, uh, or Instagram. It's KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. Or if you're patient, you can try 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about tipping in this era. Joined by Bankrate's Ted Rossman, Recode Sarah Morrison, and Lehigh University's Helena Leanne Oaks. Let's go to Candace here in the Bay Area. Welcome, Candace. Hi. This is a very triggering topic, and I could go on for hours and hours and hours, but I'm going to try to make it brief. I have been a server in full-service restaurants for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I raised two disabled kids 
and was able to do that because I had the flexibility of hours to work nights so that I can take care of 18 doctors and three different types of insurance during the day and all the other normal parental stuff that seems to be a lot for normal parents. Mm. Um, TIPS is an acronym uh, to ensure proper service. Uh, Have you insured your service today? (laughs) The comments that are made by the two professionals on there, I could not disagree with you more. I would love to sit down for hours with you because you have it all wrong. Mm. Um, Most people do know exactly what their tipping standard is before they come into an establishment, but tips should be based on service alone at all. In fact, I can usually control a dining experience completely and make it absolutely top-notch fabulous. But if that service goes awry at any point, well, I'm always the one that takes the hit, whether it's the kitchen's fault, the manager's fault, the front desk's fault, the dishwasher's fault. It doesn't matter. I'm the only one in the restaurant that's going to make less money because of it. I actually don't want a good tip if I couldn't provide the service to the person. I feel guilty when people tip me really well when I wasn't able to provide it for them, whether it was for them or not. Having that said, the government assumes that we walk out the door with 10 to 12% of tips of our sales. We get taxed on our sales, not on the tips that we receive. Many restaurants um, make you share your tips with other people. That means your tip share is going to happen whether you get the tip or not. So if you stiff somebody because you think they messed up or the kitchen messed up or something was awful, so you stiff them, that server is actually paying money to serve you because they're paying taxes on money yeah. that they didn't get. Well, Candace, and let me ask you this. Paying support staffs on tips that we do not receive. Candace, let me ask you this. This seems like a horrible system. I mean, I just, it, I, I, it, it, it seems like a bad system. It is. And when, when you look at it, I heard somebody else compare it to Europe. I'm so sick and tired of our country being compared to other countries. The laws are not there in Europe to where it makes it more difficult for restaurants here, especially in California, where I've worked for 30 years, um, to make money. Like, let's say for an example, just one example, when you're in Europe and you order like a bottle of Coke, that bottle of Coke might come out in a Sprite bottle because they can reuse that. So there's different ways that restaurants can save on money that we can't hear, especially in California a lot of those rules are to try to keep people healthier and to keep them safer. So I don't understand why we're compared to them. We, we shouldn't be because it's just it's not even the same issue. Yeah. And it is messed up. It is. But if you can't afford to tip, don't go out. Yeah. It's, it's not right. And if you're going to a nice restaurant, you need to tip. It shouldn't even be. I actually worked for Hillstone Restaurant Group for 10 years amongst other places like Morton's and such. And I can tell you that they stand behind their service so much that if somebody didn't leave 15% tip, they would get a table check from the manager. Mm-hmm. And the manager would ask them, so was everything all right with your service today? Mm-hmm. And if they said, oh, yeah, everything was great. Everything was phenomenal. She was phenomenal. The food was phenomenal. Well, why, why didn't you leave 15% at least? And they would be asked not to come again if they just said they didn't believe in tipping. That is a company that stands behind their people. Yeah. It's not well, making up for managers to make to make a, a decent wage. No, the managers at Hillstone started a hundred thousand, and my senior GMs make two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, Candice, let me um, thank you for for that perspective. I, and I think I appreciate your passion on the topic and just you know the the lived reality of trying to to make it work within you know this economic system that is really pretty brutal. Um, you know, 
Ted Rossman uh, with with Bankrate. I mean, this this does feel like an unfair economic system. How do people kind of navigate within that? You know, it's not as if the entire United States is going to move away from tipping like instantly or move to some other system that that is more fair to workers, service workers. Yeah, we've done some research on this and we've found that a lot of people don't like tipping, especially young adults, I think sometimes have more of a social justice kind of angle that this thing isn't right. Let's just do away with it, even if it means paying higher prices. In the real world, however, that has not played out very well. One famous example I can think of is the restaurateur Danny Meyer tried to do away with tipping at his restaurants and raised prices as a result. And the idea was that it's more fair and equitable. And unfortunately, it really didn't work. Customers couldn't see past the higher prices, even if that's basically what they should have been paying anyway with the tip. Interestingly, even the staff didn't like it. And there were reports of staff leaving and Maybe some of it's human nature that you feel like you're a great server, you can get better tips at the restaurant down the street. Um, So I think for better or for worse, we are generally stuck with this. Um, But I do think that a lot of the burden falls on the customer. And that leads to a lot of guesswork, a lot of gray area, and sometimes some hurt feelings. So it's definitely not an ideal scenario. I know some people say, well, businesses should just pay their workers more it's a tricky one. And I think in the real world, um, probably not a whole lot is going to change. So a lot of it does fall on the customer. One uh, comment from a listener, Sarah says, it feels weird, but I'm always so happy to not tip when I go to one of my favorite restaurants, Reams in the Mission and SF. Reams has an automatic charge added to every bill that goes directly to workers so that they have guaranteed payment that takes the place of tip. Tipping has racist history. I wish that there were more restaurants who would do what Reams has done to remove it from the equation. Um, you know, caveats as as noted by uh, Ted there. And we actually have uh, a restaurant owner on the line. Richard in Oakland, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I think, right, you uh, are the co-owner of Sister, right, there in Oakland? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, from your perspective, how does this work out? <laughs> like, do you do you want to go to a no-tipping model? Have you talked to the, you know, you've also been a server and a bartender and other stuff. Like, I, turn that around in your mind for me. Like, what, what are the considerations? I think in, you know, for us, we are in a culture where tipping exists. And, you know, when, when somebody comes to work for us, there's sort of this expectation, okay, if you're a server, you're going to make this certain amount of money. Um, you know, we're, we're more of a traditional restaurant business model um when you get into things like tipless um you you have to add in the fact that when we charge a service charge we're taxed on top of that so the the amount that goes to the staff is lessened um and i you know for us we we've we've kind of stuck with the the very traditional you you know somebody comes in they they make a voluntary 20 percent tip but it but it's closer, I think, to more of a, a unspoken contract. When you come into a restaurant, you you tip twenty percent, um, and and you know w- within the restaurant we we sort of distribute that amongst the service staff, uh, and yeah, I think you know if if we were as a society to go into a sort of more tipless system. Um, you know that you would see 
the those those costs would come from somewhere else. You you know, you come to a restaurant, you would just you would pay more. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, you know, Sarah Morrison, this tipping world that we're that we're talking about. How much do you think the pandemic kind of nudged it into a, a new place, and how much of these things are sort of kind of eternal issues for the U.S. right now? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing I'd like to say is it seems like there's been a lot of like focus on tipping for like dining and restaurants Mm -hmm. and the things that I think most of us traditionally expect to actually tip for. Uh, And I I think a lot of the issues, I mean, that sort of I've heard or seen, you know, kind of written about is when you're asked to tip for things like buying a, you know, merch at a concert or signing up for apple picking online or going to like a, you know, fill up your own um, like dishwashing detergent store. Uh, so, you know, I mean, the caller said, uh, Candace, um, I, I don't, I don't know the safety rules, um, in Europe. I can't, uh, like get into that, but she said, you know, you know, it's expected of you, you know, you should do it. And if you can't afford it, then that's, you know, your problem and like, sure. But what happens when you go to a place that you are not expecting to be asked to tip? Um, and then all of a sudden there's like a 20%, uh, sort of a, a thing asking you to pay an extra 20%. I think that's where people, uh, you're, you're hearing people be more upset about it and more sort of, you know, passionate, not so much the restaurant industry that we've all maybe grown up expecting to leave something in. Yeah. Uh, so that doesn't, sorry, that doesn't answer your, your, your question, but I wanted to. No, no, no. It's a good, <laughs> it is a good, it, it is a good point though. I think it, you know, it's kind of from the consumer perspective, it's kind of the changing culture of, of tipping. Hey, uh, Richard with uh, Sister in Oakland, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, Ted Rossman, Senior Industry Analyst at Bankrate. We know you've got other uh, stuff to do this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, let's go to back to the phones. Let's go to a different kind of non-dining experience, as you uh, noted, Sarah. Jay in uh, Santa Rosa, welcome. Yeah, so I, I'm a courier. I'm a driver with multiple apps. And the the culture with this job is, and this is a ubiquitous across all of the apps that I've seen online, people talking about it on forums and things, um, is no tip, no trip. If we, and that's because we get our tip promised ahead of time before we take the order. And so if there isn't a tip attached, we can see that. And we generally won't take the order unless someone is really desperate or you know, right outside of the restaurant or the order takes them to an area where they want to, to be to get more orders. But um, I'm just wondering how that, if that's come up in your research at all, or if that uh, has affected the tipping market in other, uh, other regions. Yeah. Uh, that's Jay, such an interesting point. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah Morrison, I mean, on, on the digital side and on this sort of press a button, give a tip, um, talk to us a little bit about about that, and because I feel like a lot of the same kind of design patterns that are at play in a kiosk kind of situation are also at play on an app when you're getting something delivered. Yeah, um, I, I can't speak for every service, but it was my understanding that some of them don't tell uh, the the delivery people how much of a tip they're going to get until it's uh, completed. Uh, I believe kind of for that reason <laughs> that uh, people will not accept uh, trips because they're not going to get as, you know, as much money. And also I, I believe, you know, couriers don't get a whole lot of money. So I completely understand why they would uh, feel that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, some of us maybe 
feel more generous or want to be more generous when we either want to reward somebody uh, for good service uh, or want to make sure that we get it if we're asked to pay ahead of time. Um, and then some of these, you know, point of sale apps, you are actually like paying at the time you sell. You, right. You it's pay, like not you know. really a. And then you're not yeah. getting like the product. Yeah. You're not getting the product like the, the croissant or whatever um, until after you pay. So certainly there, there's much more uh, of, of, a, of a motivation to uh, make everyone know how generous you are. Um, so you get the the thing you want um, yeah. without it being maybe spit on. Not that people do that, but I think that's something that people are always afraid of happening. Right, right. That is the classic uh, thing. Let's um, let's bring in Chuck in Petaluma with an interesting point. Welcome, Chuck. Uh, hi. Um, I just wanted to comment a little bit about the kiosk situation where you know you get <laughs> you're at the point of sale and somebody flips the screen around and you're obligated <clears throat> to, you know, to make a tip and you're put on the spot. And I think that that in some ways erodes the social contract of tipping where when you're put on the spot like that and you don't get time to consider, um, I feel like that in some ways erodes that, that relationship. Um, I, I build software and UI now and I'm a former server. And so I understand the relationship a little bit and I feel like it's, irresponsible from the perspective of a, somebody who makes technology to build dark patterns into that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to go to uh, Sarah on dark patterns in a second. But first, I want to talk about uh, with you, Helona, like this, the social contract and kind of when you drop a screen in between there, like what, what do tipped employees end up thinking about this as well? Or, or how do you like sort of analyze that? Great question. And I think this brings me back to what I appreciated most about the caller, Candace. Uh, their story highlights the ways in which tipping can amplify inequality. When we think about whose wages vary in ways that make one vulnerable based on um, assessments of circumstance, regardless of how hard we try, you know, um, or the fact that people we see face to face are more likely to get bigger tips from us and the people who are the most economically vulnerable are very often kept from us. I think, for example, about the folks who um, clean on the campus where I work, they come in at night, they are contract employees, nobody sees them face to face and I think who is bringing, who, who is making them feel a part of our community, right? Um, so people tend also to tip those they perceive as, quote unquote, more like them, um, which tends to reinforce race based, gendered and classist stereotypes. So I think the more we um, the more opaque we make this process, the more we are amplifying inequalities with this uh, ritual. Mm. You know, uh, Sarah Morrison, Chuck Matt, uh, mentioned this phrase, dark patterns. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that would mean in terms of, of tipping? You, you've kind of mentioned a little bit, but maybe just to draw it out. Yeah, I was excited to hear uh, him mention the dark patterns. Um, this is the the kind of thing that you, you know, most of us encounter. Uh, you're at like a website or something and it, you know, says, you know, sign up for this newsletter and then little tiny letters like, uh, no, I don't, you know, like, so it makes it a lot harder for you to choose the thing that maybe you want to choose, but that, uh, you know, the place you're at maybe doesn't want you to choose. So a lot of these kiosks, you know, the, um, the sort of tip suggestion will be very large and easy to see, easy to tap. And then the options that they maybe don't want you to choose, which is you know, no tip or custom tip. Those are, uh, they're, they're, they're smaller, they're harder to see. 
Um, and it's a much more like clumsy process. So they sort of like manipulate you a little bit or sort of push you in a direction that they want you to go in, even if it's not the one that you would have wanted to uh, to go in. Got uh, more listener uh, comments rolling in. Um, trying to get through some of these restaurant ones. Uh, Shelly writes, when tips are pre-suggested on a restaurant tab, it usually includes all taxes and additional fees. It is unconscionable that San Francisco restaurants delineate the mandate to provide health insurance and then suggest that we tip on that and the taxes as well. If restaurants can't afford to insure their employees, they should raise their prices rather than ask the diner to cover the cost of doing business. Another listener wants to add that to discussion that the uh, San Francisco minimum wage includes restaurant workers and that most San Francisco restaurants add a fee for San Francisco mandates. Um, also, prior to the pandemic, Forum had a show about tipping that had restaurant industry folks saying 25% should be expected. Uh, please discuss if it's appropriate to decrease tips for a bad experience. We will perhaps get into that. And one other uh, listener writes in to say... I had a friend recently do a delivery for Instacart, and she delivered 20 boxes. They tipped her $10. I have another friend who does deliveries for a different kind of service, and the rich will order three or $400 of goods, edibles, etc., and then not tip a single thing. The rich don't tip, they're cheap, and they blow money on all kinds of things except taking care of the people who bring them their goods. That's really reminding me of earlier in the show where Helena was saying, tips are one way that we try and grease the wheels of a capitalist economy that's increasingly unequal. I think we're seeing uh, some of that there. We would love to hear from you. We're talking with Helona Leanne Oaks, a professor at Lehigh University and co-author of the book Gratuity, a contextual understanding of tipping norms from the perspective of tipped employees. Sarah Morrison, senior reporter uh, with Recode by Vox and author of the recent article, Everyone Wants a Tip Now. Do you have to give them one? Earlier, we were joined by Ted Rossman, a senior industry analyst with uh, Bankrate. Love to hear from you, as we've we've been doing throughout this show. What do you think about the current culture of tipping? How did it change in a pandemic? How have the machines inserted between you and people working in restaurants or other um, service industry jobs changed the way you think about things? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. 
One of our producers just suggested, Don't Stop Believin' as my karaoke song. I'm not sure I can sing that song. We're talking for real about tipping culture, tipping fatigue, and tip inflation. We're joined by Halona Leanne Oaks, uh, who's a professor at Lehigh University, and they're the co-author of the book, Gratuity, a Contextual Understanding of Tipping Norms from the Perspective of Tipped Employees, as well as Sarah Morrison, a senior reporter at Recode by Vox and author of the article, Everyone Wants a Tip Now, Do You Have to Give Them One?, Let's uh, go to a comment by Amanda. Um, Amanda writes, I love shopping small and local and supporting my community, but with more places using digital payment kiosks, I'm being asked more to tip for everyday purchases. I feel guilty shopping online supporting big corporations like Amazon, though it is a lot cheaper. Shopping small used to make me feel good, but now the tipping pressure is making me feel guilty, especially being in person and facing the person I'm choosing not to tip. Sarah, how did the people that you talked to for your story try and kind of resolve this somewhat new dilemma? Uh, one of them just paid it. Uh, the he just tapped this, just thin real quick, and 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 got out of there. He said the purchase wasn't actually that much, so the tip wasn't that much, so he didn't really have to worry about it. Um, but he said, you know, felt guilty saying no. Uh, the other one, it was pretty sizable amount, and I think she had to ask uh, the salesperson, where do I do a different amount? Because I don't want to pay you 20%, but I'll pay you like 10. Um, and so she, you know, paid less, but she still paid a tip. Again, again, she felt bad not doing it. Uh, and then the other one was uh, like the online apple picking thing where there wasn't anybody looking at her and there wasn't anybody suggesting, you know, like she didn't have to like, a, you know, look at a human being and be like, absolutely not. Um, so she... Uh, so she didn't tip at all, um, but she was also like confused as to what she'd even be tipping for because it was a pick your own apple uh, session where she would presumably be doing most of that labor. Uh, so yeah, sort of I, most people I talk to and me included just feel bad saying no when someone is like looking at you and smiling um, mm -hmm. and you have to make a choice. So uh, I, I, most people I talk to, not all people I heard from on Twitter, certainly, but most of the people... Uh, I talked to you said, yeah, I, I tip something at least because I just feel terrible if I don't. Yeah. Halona, as somebody who has professionally studied this, when this comes up for you, what do you do? Well, when I think about tipflation and this collision of staggering inflation with the strong adherence to tipping norms in the U.S., um, I mean, the U.S. has the highest rates of inequality among uh, what scholars call modern industrial democracies for whatever that's worth, right? But we do know that we in the U.S. have the highest rates of inequality growing at the fastest rates. We know that tipping practices don't reflect the service quality, in particular in those sectors that perpetuate this myth of un- or low-skilled labor. There's no such thing. There is no such thing as unskilled or, or low-skilled labor. Uh, what's at issue here is what we value um, how we value, uh, how, who and how we value um, people and services. And so for me, I can't, I can't quit thinking about these patterns of deprofessionalization um, and, and inequality and the extent to which um, roboticization, automation are, um, are contributing to these amplified patterns of dehumanization. Yeah. I mean, the thing I keep turning over is just like, we're all trying to come up with individual solutions to runaway inequality in American society. And this is just like, this is right at that like friction point of 
well, I have a little bit more money to, to right at this moment to tip, so I'll do it because it will somehow reduce in you know inequality by whatever tiny amount of money this is right here. Whereas, like the big societal problems, like require much more, and you know we are seeing strike a, a wave of strikes in the United States and, and other things. So there, uh, there are if bigger solutions, to- you know. If I can interject, I do think that in some ways we should at least talk about the extent to which tipping norms distract from or disrupt efforts uh, to organize uh, against this idea that there are such things as Mm. un- and low-skilled labor. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, Let's uh, let's bring in uh, Marilene in uh, Sebastopol. Hello. I am calling from Sebastopol. I have a small uh, business, one place. I have about 30 employees, all part-time. It's an ice cream parlor, so I generally hire younger people uh, starting at 16, and I have some that are 24, 25, so I've got that age group. And we did the math on the credit cards, and they generally get about 7% in tips. Hmm. And um, I, I think that's pretty low. Uh, and especially considering that the kids, like, we make everything in shops. So my employees, if they're not helping you at the counter taking your order, they're either making your ice cream cone or your sundae. They might be in the back making the hot fudge or they might be in the back making the chocolate chip cookie dough that we put in the cookies. And it's it's a very labor intensive. It's actually a really hard job, and that's one of the reasons why we hire young people. And just I I just hope that people on the other side of the counter consider it's much more than just sitting there taking your order. Mm-hmm. These kids are working really hard. We pay them really well, but it's your way of saying I see you, I acknowledge you, and you're a valuable person. I mean. Customers tell me all the time how great our service is, and I think that should be re- reflected in tips. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, you're, you know, just to yeah. make sure people, I, I think, are understanding your point. It's like when when someone's standing at the kiosk taking the taking the order there. That's not the only thing they're doing within the restaurant. That's not the only thing that the employees of that place are doing. I got you. Um, thank you, uh, Marilyn, for for that comment. Let's uh, let's go straight to uh, Will in Orinda. Welcome, Will. Uh, thank you for taking my call. You know, I uh, am a person who made my living off of tips for a decade, being a bartender and a waiter. And the work that we had to put out in those days to get that 20% threshold is exponentially more than what I see happening to now when you do the takeout orders. Uh, some of the machines and kiosks, they started like 18 and go to above 20% for literally someone Uh, just taking your order and not doing a lot of the other things that we used to do in that business. And so I'm just wondering where the experts fall on that kind of Mm -hmm. relativity between what it used to be and what it is now in terms of the attention and the detail that goes to the customer. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good point. Helena, I want to take this one to you. I think it's basically, I I think one of the issues is that we call a, a tip is many different things for many types of uh, transaction, right? I mean, it's not all the same thing, but we use the same word and even use the same percentages in a lot of cases. 
Correct. And it, what we did was sort of um, look at the narratives across different um, occupational categories. Um, and when I think about tipping, I think about um, those things that disrupt our ability to assess service quality that, that just like the caller said, don't reflect the work that's actually being done. And a lot of times tips are determined or this ritual is practiced in ways that are moderated by age, race, gender expression, displays of wealth and social status. And when I when I think about the trends of deprofessionalization and inequality, I, I, I think about it from my perspective, which I put myself through college, um, working as a waitress, and when I was old enough, a, a bartender, and um, and it, it, and you know, like people have pointed out, for for some, this is a really good way to sort of manage um, a schedule and make a little bit more money, although that money money is a little um, less reliable, oftentimes. I think what we see is tipping norms and tipping amounts increasing where we see deprofessionalization in some sectors. And when we think about the, um, the when we think about this state that we're in when it comes to automation and, and last I read, uh, and and I, I am hesitant to say a percentage um, because the percentages vary in the research somewhere between 60 and 80% of current jobs across sectors, uh, I believe can be, I mean, uh, Einstein can do my job as a professor better than I can. That's been proven on Jeopardy, right? So uh, we really have to start thinking about what we value about humanity. Hmm. And I think that's what's at the heart of this uh, discussion. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, get a few more uh, comments in. You know, Kathy writes in to say, I'm the older sister of two creative people who at some point in their lives made their living as waiters, bartenders, maitre d's while pursuing music, acting, writing as their vocations. I watched them tip 20%, but they are aghast that I tip that much as a standard because they only do so as a reward for excellent service. They only take me to establishments with excellent service. I, on the other hand, consider tipping my payback to the universe and support to the arts. Who knows what creative pursuit is being supported by my generosity? Um, let's go to... Jim in San Francisco. Welcome, Jim. Um, welcome. Uh, love the show. I've been listening to it forever. I work for one of the ride-sharing companies. I've done tens of thousands of rides. I have found that only about 20% of people tip. Hmm. I suspect it's because a lot of people think they're paying too much for a Lyft or an Uber as it is. And they have no idea uh, exactly what the driver's making anyway. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty much what I wanted to say. Although I wanted to add one last caveat to tipping. I've checked with dozens of weight people. And it has been my experience 100% of the time. When I have a passenger in my car bragging about what a great tipper they are or how much of a tip they're going to give because of the excellent service they feel they've gotten from me, I can tell you 100% of the time they don't tip, period. I think it's bred by the anonymity of ride-sharing services, frankly. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, Jim, that's a good uh, point. I mean, Sarah, this is another way in which sort of technology can kind of mediate our relationship to people who are providing service. Like everybody used to tip in a taxi cab driver world, right? Not 20% of people. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that it's that low because 
Um, one of the reasons why I tip on ride sharing is because they give you a star rating <laughs> and I don't want them to give me a bad one because I want to be, I want all of the, 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 the ride sharing drivers. The to game within the game person. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I, I yes. Uh, so I, I'm surprised at that low. That's, that's too bad, but uh, yeah. And that is also one of the industries that like, you know, driving, I mean, I live in New York city, so like taxis have been here forever. Uh, that I thought that was one of the things where you did expect to 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 tip on top of yeah. uh, the price of service. So that that's nice. that's too bad. But yeah. I guess yeah, there is also the anonymity thing where you sort of just you do the tip after you leave the car and the driver's gone, so they can't kind of circle back and <laughs> like why, hey, what your yeah. problem is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's go to uh, Sylvia in San Jose. Hey, welcome, Sylvia. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I was a server for 15 years same restaurant and I had went you know when I first started having four or five tables in my section and by the end of my restaurant industry career I was had 19 tables in my section and you know it was it was something that yeah I was capable of doing but of course the level of service went down you know because you know I, I couldn't perform like how I used to and you know there was a lot of things that I saw that change in the industry. I noticed that they got rid of the busters. Now I'm having to also, in addition to having a larger section, having to now bust my own tables. Um, the dishwasher, they went schedule until 2 p.m., but I would have a morning shift. And so now I'm expected to also go back and wash the appetizer, you know, plates because there's no dishwasher. And then, you know, I would have, you know, guests, you know, complain saying, oh, you disappeared on us. And and I said, no, I'm actually trying to keep the restaurant moving. I'm literally running the entire restaurant while also serving you your food. Yeah. Right, exactly. And it, is, it, was, it was so disheartening. But, like, I'm literally, I'm running. I'm sweating. I am trying my best to give people the experience that they, they deserve, you know, that yeah. they truly deserve. And so a lot of times, like, in my grant, I, where I, people who are in the industry, I think truly love what they do. I know I loved what I do what, or what I had, you know, did my, yeah. my job. But it got really hard when, you know, we were being pressured, you know, to do, oh, you, you have to um, perform these surveys or, you know, you didn't get enough customer comments, you know, forms, you know, submitted in. And there's pressure by corporate. Yeah. And I feel like the corporate aspect, the corporate piece is what has ruined the experience hmm. you know that it was yeah. it, it becomes the oh we need to show a profit for corporate to see that you know our our labor costs are low and a lot of times um we worked off off the clock we were forced mm -hmm. to clock out and um finish our like side work and our side duty our you know side duties are we're responsible for even outside of taking our tables and we had yeah. to work off the clock well, and I think, um, so first of all, I'm sorry that happened. There's a lot of wage theft like that that goes on. Uh, our colleague Frida Javella Romero has uh, done an incredible job uh, tracking down a lot of those stories. Um, so if you're if you're interested in that, take a look at that. Um, Sylvia in San Jose, thank you so much. I feel like you just in you know one minute summed up so many of the problems with the way that the American economy has has come to work, kind of a, a top-down corporate structure in which, you know, everyday people on the line are are pressed into, like, ever more work and service for less money. Uh, Helena, where do, where do we take this discussion from here? 
thank you for uh, for this opportunity to speak on this because as um, as the caller was talking, and I'm sorry I did not catch their name, Sylvia. Uh, I was Sylvia. Thank you. Uh, I was thinking about a sociological concept called processual orders, which is essentially uh, a concept to describe how we learn our quote unquote place, so to speak, in particular in uh, workplace settings. When I think about, for example, what? Uh, the the wage set the wage theft that Sylvie describes and the pay differentials described between uh, by Candace between uh, the folks doing all of the work in the service industry while at the same time spending their whole day trying to take care of their families uh, you know meanwhile managers are making upwards of 100 and 200 thousand and other people are um, having these very variable and vulnerable uh, wage systems I think wow we should not accept this unfairness, right? That um, there's something deeply wrong with a system that doesn't value people doing most of the work mm -hmm. uh, and that there are multiple systems entangled here. You know, why is Candace spending her whole day dealing with multiple health insurance systems and mm -hmm. working, that, you know, it's, uh, there's so much more to this story and I hope we can continue these conversations. Yeah. I think um, that, there are a lot of people realizing that this is deeply unfair. It is wrong. And we can change these processual orders. Yeah. We've been talking about tipping culture, tipping fatigue, just the, the culture of the American economy, really. We've been joined by Helena Leanne Oaks, who's a professor at Lehigh and co-author of the book, Gratuity, a Contextual Understanding of Tipping Norms from the Perspective of Tipped Employees. Thank you so much for joining us. We've also been joined by Sarah Morrison, a senior reporter at Recode by Box and author of the recent article, Everyone Wants a Tip Now. Do you have to give them one? Earlier, we were joined by Ted Rossman, senior industry analyst at Bankrate. Thank you so much to to all of our guests. This Hour of Forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Jennifer Ng. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell's lead producer. Our engineer is Danny Bringer. Our interns are Paul C. Kelly Campos and Lulu Ralda. Susan Davis is senior producer. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Thank you so much for all of your calls and comments. I'm so sorry we couldn't get to all of them. There were a lot this morning, but thank you. Keep them coming. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.